This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. to bed an unbeliever, and I woke up a believer, okay? Um, No church, no prayers, no Christian friends or family. There was just an awareness of my sin and that Jesus was sufficient for the forgiveness of my sin. Not only was he sufficient, he was actually the love of my life. And there was lots of snot, there was lots of tears over the kind of weeks that followed, and I sort of made my way towards a church. And a couple of months later, I I just started decisively feeling a sense of call to full-time pastoral ministry or church leadership or whatever you sort of call it at that phase of your life. And I was also feeling a, a particular call to the nations. Uh, particularly nations that didn't have great churches. And I felt God wanted to use me as part of that process of making disciples there. And, and the question was, you know, should I go to Bible school? Should I aim to become a preacher? Should I um, aim for leadership? How do you pursue the call to the nations? And so I did what every mature, self-aware, scripture-filled and faithful believer should never do, which is take my Bible, okay, as I will demonstrate now, and go, oh Lord, if you're with me, I'm going to open this book in somewhere, and I'm going to put my finger on a verse And I know that that's from you. And I did that. And this is what came out. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. It is crazy. And... um, so I followed God. Now, I, I would not recommend that as a best practice in any shape or form. Okay, guys? Now you've heard it. Don't do that. Just pray. Seek God in the scriptures. Uh, he, you know, even, even Jonah 1 verse 2 is in the scriptures. So you can just seek him in that. You can speak to friends. There are way greater ways of doing it. But God spoke to me. And so I followed him um, as best I could. I married a great girl, uh, Lorette, who, who equally felt a love for the nations, and it just seemed to work. God gave us robust kids, Joshua and Megan, who bounce instead of break uh, in difficult situations, and they've been filled with God's grace, 
And our journey has brought us here to this point. As you can tell, if you don't know me, uh, I'm clearly not local, am I? Um, I am a South African. So, and just to think it all started with Jonah. So, I love my story. I love our story. I, I hope you love your story as well. But I also love our church story. It's also the story of God. God first exists because Howard and Naomi and Tom and Lucy and Stan on bass and, and a couple of others followed God. I felt prompted to come and plant a church here in Cheltenham by his leading. And they've been here now 13 odd years. Part of God's story here in the town. It's wonderful, wonderful. Is this the end of God's story with God first? Is this as good as it's going to get? Oh, I pray absolutely not. I pray this is the beginning still of God first. When you think of churches with hundreds of years of history, heritage of faith, that's our prayer for God first. I mean, let's pray Jesus comes back sooner than that, but hundreds of years of faithful worship. So let's read the quintessential passage on gospel mission together and discover what it is. So what mission is, discover what the hindrances are to mission and how to overcome them. So let's read in John 17. If you have your Bibles, it's always lovely to open it up. Mine is ESV, so I'm not going to read it in here. I'm going to be reading it in the NIV, which will also be behind me. So John 17, verse 13 to 21. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I just love those words this morning. Joy. We want joy in God. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth, or by the truth. Your word is truth. Even as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oh God, do us good through your scriptures this morning. Thank you that your presence is with us. <clears throat> through all the ups and the downs of health and life and the, the, just the realities. Oh God, you are so much bigger than that. Glorify yourself in our midst. Have your way in us, challenge us, collide with us. Would we come to a fresh joy in you this morning? It reminds us of our salvation and that we want to live for you in every step of the way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you might think, hey, where's the word mission? If this is a passage about mission, where's the mission? Well, missio is from the Latin word to send. And it appears three times in our message. In our passage, sorry. 
it seems that as we read this, we discover there's a, a real expectation that anyone who comes in contact with Jesus and with the gospel also gets connected to his mission as a sent one, a missionary. Missionaries are ambassadors. Okay? They represent their country in a foreign land. And I think I, I know this better than most in terms of uh, ambassadors. Um, my dad was a, was a diplomat for 40 years. Uh, he was an ambassador in various places. And so it's probably no surprise that I've, I've followed my dad's missionary bent and uh, traveled all over the world serving his mission. And it's interesting that the building itself, when you, when you talk about, let's say, the South African Embassy in London, is actually called the South African Mission in London. That's the sort of language use when you talk about embassies. And it's because they go and they represent the truth of the country in another nation, hoping to foster good relations and develop relationships between the two. And Jesus was a missionary, no surprise. He came bringing a radical new truth. God no longer merely, not that he ever did, but it, it was explicitly said through John the Baptist and through Jesus' ministry that God didn't want just law-abiding citizens of his kingdom, just people who do the law, do good things, but their hearts aren't inclined to God. That wasn't sufficient. That wasn't, that wasn't true love. That wasn't true salvation in God. He wanted to love us and for us to respond at a deep heart level and be changed and be different people. And He graciously sought us out. He loved us. He forgave us. He gives us truth. And for our sake, we read in verse 19 that he sanctified himself, made himself holy through obedience, even to the point of death on the cross. So that in verse 17 it says, his unshakable truth could sanctify and make us holy. So simply put, Jesus was a missionary to seek and save the lost, us, everyone who is lost. I think missionaries get a bit of a bad rep. Um, they're normally thought of kind of wearing sandals with white socks and like cheesy 80s haircuts. Exhibit A, look, no sandals. Okay, don't say anything about the haircut. But for many of us, there's a culture clash when it comes to mission and being a missionary. Many of us really like Christianity, right? We, we like the teachings, we like the community, we like Jesus, we're grateful. We feel saved and loved by Him. But being a true disciple and a follower of Jesus assumes that we not only believe that there is one God and one way to God through His Son Jesus Christ who died in our place on the cross. 
being a true disciple means that we don't only believe it, but we are willing to tell about it. Telling others that Jesus is the best way to live. Following him is the best thing for us. And making that statement in our time and in our culture, it goes completely against the grain. Saying there is one way to God, his name is Jesus. And there will be those in this room that even feel a bit of a cringe when we say that. Many of us have slid into the belief that our faith is a personal thing and that it's fine for us to believe and to hold the views that we do, but that it is wrong to encourage others to explore Jesus in the same way that we have. And it's wrong to encourage them that He is the way, the truth, and the life. In the interest of being loving to all people, which is an element of being a Christ follower, is it not? We've slipped into a a world where there are no absolutes. But missionaries live with an absolute truth. In addition to truth, when we're saved by God and believe the gospel that says we are loved and we are accepted because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, our hearts end up softening towards God because, oh, it's all by grace. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But also, our hearts soften towards others. We begin to see people, sometimes slowly, I grant you, sometimes it's a slow process, but we do begin to see people as God sees them and start loving people and inclining our hearts to people the way that God loves them. And to be fair, one of the ways to gauge how close you are to Jesus is to look at how close you are to the people you normally wouldn't hang out with. And this is the beauty of our serving teams. This is the beauty of our G1Cs, our midweek small group communities. This is the beauty of threes that, that Stan and Ben were talking about this morning, is that it's the, the, the space, the opportunity, the place where we are increasingly being challenged by loving people and being in proximity with people and revealing our heart and sharing our true selves with people who are different to us. We've got to build trust. And as we grow in a love for people, something inside us begins to well up. And we want them to experience the same salvation and peace and life that we've been granted, especially those that we love who, who don't know Jesus. And that's what love does. Love does what God would want to do towards people and for people. Let me tell you a little secret. For some of you, this won't be a surprise. For others, yeah, 
Totally. I saw that a mile off. But I'm an introvert. And in my, nat- my natural state, my natural habitat is probably in the corner of a room somewhere by myself in my happy place. Okay? But God has been on mission to me. He's loved on me so much that he's broken my heart for people. And he's broken it to such a degree that we've served as leaders in seven different churches, in five different cities, in three different nations. And we want to love people. And we want to bring the truth of God to people. Consider your own story for a moment, if you would. You might have had to make some really radical decisions for the sake of Jesus. You might have had to move for Jesus. Or you might have had not to move for Jesus. You chose to stay because of Jesus. You might have taken a job that you might otherwise not have because of Jesus. Or gone to a school because you want to remain in a relational connection with the parents of your kids' friends for Jesus. You might have had conversations with people that you otherwise would not have had because of Jesus. And that is God bringing out the missionary in you. And honestly, that is worth celebrating when you see it. That is worth saying, God, yes. On Wednesday evening, this last Wednesday, uh, I felt like death warmed up. But I led a a baptism information evening on Zoom. Uh, For those interested to find out more about what God first believes about baptisms and Man, I just felt rotten. But I so wanted to do it. Because I love our people. I love God's people. And I burn with His truth. And I wanted to encourage people with it. Love is not love if it does not bring truth. Missionaries burn with both truth and love. It's the left-right combo. We also know that when we are loved and love and we have been saved by truth and carry truth, that we are automatically drawn into being missionaries on the mission of Jesus. When we hear Jesus' invitation to come and drink from Him, all who are thirsty, that He will give us water and that he will cause us never to thirst again. Oh, we love it, don't we? It's like, yes, Jesus, I never want to be thirsty again. Oh, yes. But not only does he offer us water for ourselves to drink and quench our thirst, he fills us with his spirit and he puts in us what? A well, a spring that bursts forth, that erupts with life giving waters. Why? I'm already quenched. My thirst is good. Why does he do that? He does it. That it would flow out to others. One of my favorite passages about mission and about the Spirit is 
Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, my missionaries, my emissaries, my sent ones. In Jerusalem, hey, right where you are, he's talking to the Jerusalemites, okay? In all Judea, the wider region, but of Gloucester, Gloucestershire. Samaria, it's our neighboring guys that we don't particularly like. Shall we say Worcester? And to the ends of the earth. You see it. God fills us with himself by his spirit in order to empower us for mission. Mission to our neighbors and to the nations. The spirit of God's truth and love flows like a river out of our innermost being to quench our thirst at all times and at any time and to be available to quench the thirst of others. And when we get this, when we have tasted this water and have been quenched by it ourselves, we will never think of Christianity as a private and personal religion again. How do you know that you've truly drunk from the life-giving waters of Jesus? It's when you begin to see that although God does a deeply personal work in your life, your faith is not private and personal. You know you've drunk deeply when you get that Jesus as a missionary loved on you told you the truth that led to your salvation in Jesus, and then you grasp that you are part and parcel of his story. To follow and to imitate him as a missionary. So let's take a look at a a key feature. There are many, many, but let's look at a key feature of Jesus' mission that I'd like us to major on this morning and recognizing that any feature of Jesus' mission should be a feature of ours. So let's look at verse 13. I am coming to you now. He's talking to the Father. He's praying. This is a prayer. Jesus to the Father about us. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. There it is. The major feature of being drawn into God's story and his mission is living with a full sense of the measure of Jesus' joy. And we always need to be thinking, where have I heard this before? So when I think Jesus' joy, what comes to mind? Come on, Hebrews? 12, right? Verse 1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy 
set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And here too, we, we read that Jesus grapples with the magnitude and the effect of his mission toward us. And he felt joy in it, even in the face of great pain and shame and ultimately death on the cross. But his pain and shame and death was for us to seek and save the lost. And this brought him a greater joy than any earthly trial could ever quench. So if Jesus experienced joy on his mission to us and then praised to the Father that we experience joy on our mission, the question is, how is your joy? How is our joy, church? Because if you're anything like me, This COVID season has seriously highlighted my lack of joy. And even though I'm an introvert, and initially I'm like, ooh, party. I got depressed. I got disillusioned. I got deeply unhappy with life. Why was that? Mission. Or lack of mission. The lack of joy in your life as a Christian is probably due to a lack of missional intentionality. There seems to be a direct link between Jesus' joy and Jesus' mission. And Jesus sends us out on mission so that his joy may be in us. He wants us to have joy, a fullness of it, the truth of it. The reality of it. And so he says, go on mission. Every one of us knows this at a very deep subconscious level. It's why we love Lord of the Rings. It's why we love Saving Private Ryan or any other great epic book or movie. We're hardwired to love these stories where people... Go on great adventures. They go on great missions where the heroes and the heroines defy the odds and they succeed at great personal risk in the face of great adversity. And kids really naturally get this still. For them, this is, they live this, they breathe this. When you ask an eight-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? What answer do they give? What it most certainly is not is, I want to work in an office like you, Dad. (laughs) Heck no. I want to be a paper pusher. No. They want to be firemen, doctors, soldiers. They want to be the best tea party hosts ever. They want to be astronauts. They want to be teachers. They want to be good politicians. They want to make a difference in the world. They want to save people. They want to help people. No one teaches kids to think like this. They just do. It's almost as if we've been created in the image of God, who's a missionary. Do you remember the joy and the excitement and the anticipation of those 
younger days. Some of us are still young at heart. Eh? So what happened? What happened to the joy? What happened to the mission? I think the transition from this missionary child to a disillusioned adult is often quite painful for us. And I think it's why so many adults and children alike love computer games. Yeah, sure, some of them just bum out and want to be lazy. But I think computer games plays into our innate sense to be on mission, to make a difference in the world. And if you can't do it for real anymore, or we, or we feel like, yeah, our chance to make a difference is gone, to be on a real mission with high stakes that have eternal implications, hey, at least we'll play the computer game. Make sense? I always say I've never worked a day in my life. Honestly, it's true. Ask Howard. <laughs> I've lived the dream. From youngster, I wanted to be an Air Force pilot. I spent 11 years in the Air Force flying planes, working with the goodies to catch the baddies, being on mission that actually made a difference in the world around us. And there are others in this room who understand that very real way. And I've also now been serving the church full-time for 12 years, on mission, working with the goodies to go for it in God, fighting with Jesus against the effects of sin and evil in the world, living the dream, using my gifts, my talents, my passions, my treasures beyond my own abilities, giving it all up for the sake of Jesus. Come on! Yeah! So how is it then that I who find myself in this sweet spot of opportunity for mission still regularly have to fight for joy in my following of Jesus on mission. I reckon I've been taken in as much as everyone else by the lie. How does this slide happen? This slide from passionately being missionaries and even passionately being on mission for Jesus to not. How does that happen? As we see with kids, we are born missionaries. We're ready to fight for good and against injustice and make a difference in the world. I don't think it's a question of, I was a missionary, now I'm just no longer. I grew out of it. I think it's a shift on what we are missional about. We are all still missionaries, but the question is for whom? The disillusionment that kind of came during the 90s in the West has ushered in this last sort of 30 years period of increasingly moving away from the importance and the centrality of we to the entrenchment of me at the center of our worlds. And this was a, a move away from anything that was big and grand and bigger, larger than ourselves, something worth sacrificing for, and if necessary, worth dying for, like Jesus did. It was a move from the, 
stability of an absolute truth that you can build your life on and give your life for onto the slippery slope of relativism. And the individual has become the highest authority and pursuing our own relative truths and whatever we believe will bring us the greatest joy and fulfillment. Maybe you're exploring Jesus this morning and you you think, yeah, I, I see that. Maybe that's your story. I want to encourage you, look into Jesus' story. It's where it's at. That's where joy is. But Christian, don't be too hasty to point fingers at people outside the church in this regard. We're as susceptible to believing the lie as anyone else. That's why Jesus prays for us. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. There is an evil one, a Satan, a deceiver, a liar, who would want to draw us away from the true joy that is found in Jesus and his mission into a shallow expression of our discipleship that seeks to find its joy in the things of the world. God first, how do you know if you've bought the lie of individualism? When your life looks essentially no different to the lovely unbeliever in your next office. When our lives echo the lives of the people we are supposed to be on mission to, we've probably bought the lie of individualism. When our lives are more about climbing social hierarchy or climbing the corporate ladder, or climbing the pace scale rather than giving ourselves to God's mission, we've probably bought the lie of individualism. I'll tell you another one of my great pains. I know there's no such thing as a sacred and secular divide, but when I see some people expressing greater leadership and leadership influence in their workplaces than they do in their families or in the church or for missional living, it breaks my heart as a brother and as a fellow missionary. It breaks my heart. And there are two ways that things can play out at this point. First one is the natural outworking of this trajectory of our lives. The longer we live in this individualized state, the more we're just playing whack-a-mole. You know whack-a-mole? We chase the thing that we hope will bring us the most joy. We hit it, and it doesn't satisfy. 
And so something else pops up. Chase it. That'll bring me joy. It doesn't. And on and on. Until we're exhausted from being on mission for ourselves. Chasing after being served. Getting what we feel we deserve. And at the end of it, we're disillusioned, we're frustrated, and we're frankly depressed. And we don't know why. And we feel bad about it because Christians aren't supposed to be depressed. We're supposed to be happy. But we're Christians. We're saved. We're going to heaven. Yet we are wearing masks with painted smiles on whilst being utterly miserable on the inside. And we're unable to say it. That's pretty dismal, isn't it? This is the second way things can play out. And we can draw great confidence and courage and grace from Jesus' prayer for us in our passage this morning. But we firstly need to recognize that we are built to be missionaries. You are built to be a missionary. And we must also acknowledge that we are hedonists. Do you know what that means? Hedonists means I want to seek, I'm built for joy. I'm built to pursue things that are going to give me the greatest joy. We are built to seek out where we think life will give us the most benefit and be the most productive and fruitful and joyful. Jesus is truth. Jesus is love. And he's told us that our greatest joy and fullest joy will be when we use this internal sense, this internal drive to be missionaries as missionaries for him in his story, for his glory. And on his mission to all the earth. In his great mission, there is place for everybody. Are we going to get our heads in a knot if we think it's all about a Sunday morning? It just ain't. Some of us have got a greater sense of calling and gifting to be missionaries in this setting than others. Everyone is a missionary in their context. There's place for young and old. There's place for male, there's female, German speakers, Indian curry enthusiasts, French poodle experts. There's something for you. There's a place where your love, your skills, your passions is a mission field. The reason we're five months into our formed series and no real end in sight at this point, we're going to toggle in and out of it, just to be clear. It's because every one of us is uniquely gifted and wired by God. And we all relate to God in different ways. And so we, we need to cover, we want to cover the full spectrum of human experience with God. We relate to God differently with our different passions and talents 
but we all desire to become more like him so that we can show him more completely to a hurting and broken world desperate in need of his mission towards them. Make disciples of all the nations. I absolutely love verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus promises that his message through us to seek and save the lost will bear fruit. It will draw a godly confidence out of that. Your local co-op needs Jesus' mission. Keep using the same one. Get to know the servers' names. Get to know their schedules, their lives. Befriend them. And God will empower you to be a witness and a missionary. It's basic stuff. Small things. It's the same with the school gate. Petrol stations, your gym, your dog park. Keep showing up. Keep showing up as his missionary, the missionary that you are, filled with Jesus' love and truth, and share when the occasions come up of what Jesus has done in your life. Tell him about his love and his truth. And then let God deal with the fruit. That's what he does. That's his responsibility. That's his part. Honestly, our offices and our schools need less of our personal, secret, hidden faith, which is hidden behind excuses of professional etiquette. They need Jesus' missionary heart of love and, where appropriate, wisely distributed truth. And through you, they too will begin to experience a fullness of God's joy. Come on, Lord. Church plants. Ah, if another 5% of the people in this town came to saving faith this year, we'd need another 50 churches. In our town alone. And surely we are not crying out to God for 5% of our town. Come on, Lord. Aspiring church leaders of all kinds. This place for you. Church planters, there's a place for you. There's a need and a space for you. That's why our advanced movement runs advanced theology courses with Andrew Wilson. Why we do advanced church planting courses. Because this really matters. We're missionaries. And some of you are going to be called to the nations. All of us are called to the neighbors. Together, We're planting, we're strengthening churches in North America, all over the show. All four nations of the UK. It's fantastic what God's doing. In Europe, in India, Nepal, Turkey, Australia, all over Africa. The need is huge. God has put his story in us. And he's chosen by his grace to call us his missionaries, his emissaries, his sent ones. Best of all, We get the thing that our hearts most desire, which is real, deep, intimate, long-lasting, eternal 
joy in Jesus. The Savior who loves us, gave himself for us, died on the cross in our place, that we might go free. Oh, there is joy in being a Christian, but there is a fullness of joy being a Christian on mission with Jesus. God, first, it's messy. It's in this world, and it can be painful, but it's why we love doing it with Jesus, and why we love doing it together. And just to misquote Major Dick Winters, which I know is a major cardinal sin from the band of brothers, we're missionaries, we're supposed to be surrounded. He says we're paratroopers, we're supposed to be surrounded. No, we're missionaries, we're supposed to be surrounded. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.